So our story this morning is a story most of you have heard, I'm sure. It's found uh, a couple places in the New Testament. Listen. And Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty has put in all the livelihood that she had. May God bless the reading and the hearing of those words. Some of you may remember me talking in the past about taking a leave of absence from Princeton Seminary back in 1986. And then for most of that next year, I served in a small Baptist church on 137th Street in Harlem. And each day I would get up and I would go down and I would be a part of our food pantry and clothing closet. And I would work very, very closely with a group of women from the neighborhood. They, they were the greatest women. Oh, my gosh. Love these women. They were funny and they were hardworking and they were committed And they were poor. They were poor by any worldly standard. And I know you aren't really supposed to have favorites, but but I did have a favorite. And her name was Ida Hepburn. When I met Ida, Ida was about 80 years old and she was bald and had a tremendous ski hat she wore. Most days she didn't put in her dentures. I could always hear her coming down the street because she had this really, really noisy shopping cart. But what a generous heart she had. And I got the full dose of her generosity when she invited me on Christmas Eve that year to come to her apartment. And when I got there, she had already pulled out the Hawaiian punch and some cheap cookies. We sat and we talked about the meaning of Christmas. We shared stories and we laughed at and with each other. We held hands, looked around. There wasn't much in the way of furniture. An old couch, a folding chair, a card table, a few boxes. And that hit me. But there wasn't any other place I wanted to be. And then when I got up to leave, she asked me to wait just a minute. And she walked into a dark back room and quickly came back. And I went to hug her. 
And she handed me $1,000 in cash. And I said, what are you doing, Ida? And she said, what do you think I'm doing? I'm giving you a gift. And I said, you can't do that. You need this much more than I do. One of the stupidest things that I have ever said. (laughs) And for a split second, she looked quite crestfallen. But then she gave me this huge toothless grin and said, don't don't make this hard for me. I prayed about this. Giving belongs to God. Take the gift and get out of here. (laughs) The faith is like that, right? It's a collision of worlds. A poor elderly woman in Section 8 housing on the smallest of fixed incomes, handing me $1,000 in cash that she must have saved for decades, if not a lifetime. And me, white and privileged, attending Princeton Seminary, in need of almost nothing, at least materially. And she expected absolutely nothing in return. Not one thing. What an act of grace. The joy of giving. Giving belongs to God. So that story is a very easy runway to this morning's story. A story that's most often known as the widow's might because said widow is the focal point. And I think it's important for us to note the description of this woman. She's poor. In other words, her gender and her marital status make her completely insignificant in the temple, in the marketplace. She was not and she never would be a person of interest. The widow was a throwaway. But she gets Jesus' attention. And that's cool because in all likelihood, nobody else would have noticed her. But he did. He was watching. He watched all the comfortable folk give their donations. And then there she was, just dropping in two coins. 
And the Greek calls these smallest of coins leptos. And if you were to do the math, she was giving on that day the equivalent of five minutes of wages for a day laborer. It amounted to nothing except to her. And Jesus is moved. Like he's really moved. He says, this, this, this woman has given more than all the rest. Which, of course, isn't literally true. And then he goes on, he says, but, but they gave from their, from their comfort. She, she gave from her poverty. She gave from what she had to live on. She gave her last penny. So the story doesn't make any sense at all. Not one shred of common sense. This this act of selfless generosity in this story is, is economic suicide. She would now be utterly desolate. So I just sit on that, right? I just sit on that and it's kind of this wow moment for me. Like what are, what are we supposed to take from that? What are, what are we supposed to consider in light of this woman? So I wanna to touch on a, a few things. <clears throat> I think the first thing we, we might learn from this is that Jesus is, is making a clear point about appearances. And we all know that faith or the practice of faith is, is not about appearances. It's not about appearing to do the right thing. Or stated bluntly in this context, don't give to be seen or At least don't give if it runs the risk of exposing our hypocrisy. He has observed that the wealthy stay wealthy. And the poor stay poor. He has observed a whole bunch of men coming to church who say they believe in all the right things. And showing up in fancy clothing. He sees the way the system works. A dominant class of takers rather than givers. So the widow stands out. Now, here's the funny thing. The the teaching lesson may or may not translate Because I I don't know. I don't think most of us give for show. I don't think our motivation for giving is is primarily to look good. 
I, I sort of, I can only speak for myself, I sort of worry about the opposite. I want my giving to be more or less invisible. Not because I'm selfless, but mostly because I want to hide my stinginess. <laughs> I want to give $100 to a worthy cause and not have to think about it anymore. That's what I want to do. Which brings me to, I think, the second really, really interesting point in this story, which is what I'm going to call attachment. What's actually going on for each one of us in our attachment to comfort and security? And have we properly assessed our relationship with these things? And have we determined, determined just how generous we can or want to be? And does real sacrifice factor into those decisions? What has Carter given up to be a more generous steward of God's creation? I'm sure this is making you very uncomfortable. It's making me uncomfortable. Will Will Williman, professor of preaching, tells a story about a large urban church that hired a stewardship consultant to direct its ambitious financial campaign. And the fundraiser proposed his strategy at the first planning session, and he wanted the members to visit every home. He was met with immediate resistance, and one of the wealthier members of the stewardship meeting cited that this church had a high percentage of retired people on fixed incomes, and they could not be expected to give more. And so the fundraiser asked for permission to see in confidence the list of major givers. And then at the next meeting, he told the stewardship committee that he had completed an analysis of the church's giving. Here's what he said. Please note that the majority of your top 50 contributors are widows on fixed incomes. Please note also that according to my calculations, those widows on fixed incomes pay about 60% of the congregation's annual budget. And I'd say if you want to improve the giving in this congregation, you should talk to those women first, find out why they give, and then try your darndest to infect the rest of the congregation with the faith of the widows on fixed incomes. I love that story. I love it. I love that story. Because it's about the overriding of attachment. And the attachments that we see and the attachments that we ignore. And so the attachments that we never see. It's a story.
story about women who would give up something of great value to them because something else has more value to them. So my last point goes back to today's story as well. And it, it, it actually takes a deeper cut at what's at stake for the church, the larger church, any church. And you may or may not have missed, but this is a story where Jesus is blasting the church for its failure to do what God asks it to do. In the chapter before the widow's might, we're told that the wealthy ignore the widows. And worse, they take advantage of them. In other words, Jesus is saying the church is both blind and corrupt. The institution is failing. And yet the poor widow gives her final straw to an institution that is not serving her. Why? Why? So here's my take. God and the message are always there. And they've never left. God's vision for a different world is always there and it has never left. The vision is a very clear and compelling vision. It is a vision that would raise us all up. If a widow is destitute, well, we're all destitute. If someone is hungry, well, then we're all hungry. If our attachment to comfort are in the way of realizing more of this vision, then we must examine our attachment. And if taking and giving are out of balance, then we need a different balance. Phyllis said it really beautifully this morning. I'm thinking about our church. I'm thinking about the the choices that we make. And I say, I say that we are committed to giving. Because I believe that to be true. Is it a choice for us to go on a Saturday morning and feed the homeless? Maybe. But I don't think so. What if it it isn't a choice? What if God wouldn't have it any other way? Is it a choice for us to do home front and improve someone's living situation? Maybe, but what if it isn't? What if God wouldn't have it any other way? Is it a choice to provide music in Bridgeport or schools in Kenya? Maybe, but not really. Not in God's economy. So, 
We're the lucky ones. I'm not the widow in this story. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the scribes. But I'm really, really fortunate. I, you, we have this unbelievable invitation to be a part of building a world that we can all Enjoy. I'm grateful for every, everything you've given to this church in the past. To make it what it has been, to make it what it is. But the vision is waiting for us again right now again in 2023. It is an unbelievable vision. So I'm hoping you're going to give more than you plan to give. If you don't have any coins, then give in a different way. Give for the vision. If you have one coin, give two. If you have 200 coins, give 500 coins. That's some bad math, isn't it? (laughs) If you have 10,000, give 50,000. For it's in giving, it is in giving, that we serve God and we save the world.